0: Now, we have been traveling, as you know, through this extraordinary letter because we are with Paul in the book of Acts as he is writing the book of Romans to the church in Rome. And uh, this particular book is a Beautiful unpacking of the intricacies of the gospel of Jesus Christ as well as the large, beautiful, big picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of its simplicity. And and so far as we've traveled through the book of Romans, uh, really in in large picture, not in the details, uh, here's what Paul has been doing inspired by the Holy Spirit. He has been systematically unpacking for us Uh, the, The reality of our redemption so that we would have a clarity of the extraordinary nature of the mercy of God. So he's moving toward Romans 12, 1, where he will say, therefore, in view of God's mercy, here's our lives. And so Romans chapter 1 through 11 is, God's mercy is amazing. God's mercy is amazing. God's mercy is amazing. And that's what we should be experiencing as we go. Is just more and more and more and more of the wonder of the mercy of God. What he has done, what he is doing, what he will do for us undeserved. This is what's been happening. This is what we've been traveling through. And uh, in this beautiful journey, uh, Paul has been uh, moving back and forth between our eternality, the eternal life that we will one day have, and how the redemptive story of God affects that, and our practical everyday life that we live here in the present, and how the mercies of God affects that. So that we don't live in a giant gap between what we are waiting, for and what we are experiencing, because the truth be told, most of us live in a giant gap between those two, right? Someday it'll be awesome, really bad right now, right? Someday we'll have victory really hard right now in terms of the great battle we face with our idols, with our temptations, with our sin, with our bodies, with our desires, with everything. I mean, don't you often feel overwhelmed by the journey in the dailiness, of all the things in you that are still idols that seem to grip your hearts, all the things you still want, the struggle and vying of position between comfort and convenience and happiness and the call of God into greater things, or the, the insecurities, fears, and desires that you know haunt you but you can't seem to get rid of, not to mention the sin and temptation that comes at us that we fight and you go 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, and it doesn't seem to get any easier, does it? In fact, the more you spend more time with the rest of humanity, the harder it seems to get because the rest of humanity is as insane as as you are. And so so in many ways, you're like, man, this gets Harder. And so the the eternal wonder that's waiting uh, seems to be uh, in in opposition to the practical reality that we experience every day. But the beauty of the book of Romans is that uh, uh, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is constantly showing us that God's great redemptive work impacts not only our eternal life, but it impacts our present life. And we are set. On a course to experience life not just when we die, surviving planet earth, but now while we live here. And and he is showing us how that works and so the exciting part is God's mercy is bigger than I imagined. So, in the most recent part of the book of Romans, we've been in chapter 6 and 7, most recently we're in chapter 8 now. In chapter 6, you remember very quickly, Paul was dealing with the idea that we were once enslaved to something, to sin, to death, and that was our destiny, and he set us free in his redemptive work from that. But it was clear in Romans chapter 6 that he didn't just set us free from slavery, to sin and death, but he bound us to slavery, to life and righteousness and freedom, so that we wouldn't gravitate back towards sin and death in our eternal life. We wouldn't once again extract the virus or contract the virus of sin by doing things that were sinful. We now are bound to him to life. And then in chapter 6, he kind of went back and forth a lot like, well, if I'm bound to life now, why shouldn't I just keep sinning? And remember, he talked a lot about don't be an idiot, right? If you're free, why would you live enslaved to death? Why, if you have life, would you keep doing dead stuff? And so we kind of got that whole like, oh, yeah, okay. And then in chapter 7, he brought the law to the table, the, 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 the external code, and he said this code that has governed you in the sinful, viral life you lived that you couldn't love, live up to, you are now released from that code because you are now redeemed by Christ. Your righteousness will not be determined by living up to the code, so that no longer has power over you and you are not obligated to it. But again, he does this, but you are not just released from the external code, you are now bound to an internal code who is the Holy Spirit. So you are not going to live life legalistically to an external code, you are going to live life empowered internally by a spirit, the spirit of God himself who will empower you to live a life of righteousness because you are positioned righteous now. And so we're like, whoa, another mind-blowing reality. And in the end of chapter seven, he went into, you used to not be able to do any of this, though you may have desired to do it. You couldn't do it because you were bound to the sinful insanity. But now you have the spirit of God. And so there is this new life waiting for you to engage in and have an adventure with not only eternally, but in the present And then we start into chapter 8. All right, you want to know what life with the Spirit is like? I'll show you. And the very beginning of 8, you remember if you were here a couple weeks ago, traveling through the teaching team, the very first implication to life with the Spirit of God in us is this, that we are positionally, in Christ now, what the law could not do for us, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, Christ did for us in dying and then giving us the Holy Spirit, so that we are now guaranteed positionally to be in Him. And in um, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, you remember this is where we ended last time, we read these words, Romans 8:11, which is on page 10:45, because we're going to be there for a while now. May as well go there. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What does this mean? that even though we face an experiential struggle on planet earth that feels like this body of death is winning, the desires of the body are winning, the idols of the body are winning, and we can't seem to overcome. He says your guarantee, because you have the Spirit, is that he will give new life even to your body of death, and you will experience eternally, positionally, Life. That's a guarantee. It's a done deal. You can't get away from it. You are enslaved to freedom. I'm sorry. And that's where he ended there, right? So the Spirit sets us free, guarantees our freedom, guarantees our life. Now he's going to step into a section where he goes, Now, what are the implications to this extraordinary positional guarantee to the dailyness in which you and I live? And that is where we get to travel into today. So, Let us begin. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. We are guaranteed as an implication of having the Spirit that we will be resurrected someday by the same Spirit who resurrected Christ from the dead. Uh, And so he says in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors. Okay, so that's a a pretty obvious statement, right? It kind of makes logical sense when I've just unpacked for you the extraordinary reality of what someone has done for you? You didn't know that your entire life and future eternal destiny was because of the great and undeserved work of someone else? When I'm done unpacking that, this person did all this for you, bought you back from the dead, rescued your soul, uh, redeemed your, your future, restored your purpose. You are new in him. Is it not obvious for me then to say, so you are indebted? Right? Wouldn't that make sense? So you belong to him now. You are his now. You are indebted to him. You owe him. So that's a, it's an obvious statement. So then, brothers, we are debtors. We are debtors to somebody. Not to the flesh. What a powerful statement. See, it's so funny to me that, that the Spirit of God would have told Paul to write it this way because I would have expected him to say... So then, brothers, we are debtors to Christ, debtors to the Spirit of God, debtors to the Father, debtors to our God, for He has given us everything. But He doesn't do that. He goes, So we are debtors, but then He, he starts right out the gates, but not to sin, to death to the evil that was once in us. We are not debtors to the flesh. We are not debtors to this way of life. And so it's almost this beautiful reminder that he's almost saying we are debtors to Christ and because we are bound to Christ, we are free from sin. We once were debtors. We have always been debtors. We have always owed someone. And who we've owed is death. Who we've owed is sin. Because our ancestors chose that way for us. And that viral reality of sin has been in the human race ever since. But now, because of Christ's redemptive work, we are no longer indebted to sin. And the price of death is no longer ours to pay. And so we should stand here and go, You're kidding me! I'm debtors, but not to that craziness. And what a joy that is. We are debtors, but not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. Now, look what he's doing. He goes, "Positionally, you are released from the, the from sin, therefore not in debt to death, you are now uh, bound to Christ in debt to life and freedom." And so let's talk practically then, right? So where you once were obligated to your flesh, tied to your flesh so deeply that though your desires may have been to live rightly, you would have inevitably gravitated back to the flesh, right? You are no longer obligated to live that way. No longer tied to live that way. When I, living in Christ with the Spirit of God, sin, it is not out of obligation to sin, viral disease in me of sin, It is what I choose that day. So I'm not obligated to it. You're not obligated to live that way. This should be a very interesting beginning to teach us that when we feel defeated by sin, we don't need to feel so defeated. Even though in that moment we gravitated the wrong way, we are not there because we can't in any way ever see ourselves free. What he's saying is this, I know you feel overwhelmed sometimes by the realities of the idols in yourself and the sin that tempts you and everything else and that how many times you you fall into it, but don't worry, you're not obligated to that. So there is a freedom yet available to you before eternity comes. We should kind of feel the sense of, there's a way out. Mm, There's a way out. And it's coming, watch this, look at this. This is practical, this is real, this is right where I live, right? For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this is not speaking to our eternal life. Remember, uh, Paul goes back and forth between our eternal position, the guarantees of what we have, and then our practical daily life. We spent a great deal of time covering this in chapter 6 and chapter 7. That I get to choose now on a daily basis whether I live uh, in the ways of the flesh my way and therefore encounter the realities of temporal death. It will always produce a version of death, though thank goodness by God's grace not an eternal reality of death. Or I can choose to live by the Spirit thereby living in life in my daily life. So when I choose sin, I no longer stand in judgment eternally because of Christ's work, but I do stand in the idiocy of choosing death. I didn't choose wrong, I chose death. And so we talked about that, remember? Don't say, is this right or wrong? Say, is this life or death? Because when you choose sin, you choose death. Just know that. And so it's like, oh, I don't want to be that person that constantly does that. But when I do, by God's grace, I just need to know it produces temporal death for me, my loved ones in the world, but it does not produce eternal death. Praise God. Because my position is separate from my practice. Okay, so watch this. Just practically speaking, if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Remember, Paul does this constantly because the Spirit of God is so good to us to remind us in the middle of a sentence that feels like an obligation. If you don't live up to the Spirit, then you will die. Oh, I think I've lost my salvation. I sinned yesterday. He's very quick to go, hold, hold. That's not what I said. I'm just talking temporarily, life, death. I'm not talking internally. Because those who have the Spirit are what? Sons of God, that does not change, cannot change, because you didn't do it, you didn't get it, he did it for you, and you live in his grace now from an eternal, positional perspective. So yes, you'll choose death today. Yes, you're still sons of God, children of God. And what a joy that is. Watch this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Remember, Paul is speaking to a Jewish Audience with Gentiles mixed in, Gentiles who have been discipled by the Jewish people. Their entire scriptural reference history is the Old Testament. They don't have the Gospels. They don't have the letters from Paul, Peter, or anybody else. The, the letter from James has circulated. That's about all they've had. They might have had a, a couple other things happen, but for the most part, letters like the book of Galatians or like the book of Corinthians are still really isolated to the regions that they were sent to. So as Paul is writing to Rome, He's often referring back to things of the Old Testament and using imagery from the Old Testament that would immediately connect to a Jewish audience and a bunch of Gentiles discipled by Jews. And so here he says, when you receive the Spirit of God, remember, when God came to dwell in you, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to return to fear. What is he talking about? What imagery is he talking about now? Listen to this. In the book of Exodus, which is one of the great wonders of what God did Uh, in the people uh, that he called his own in the Old Testament that has become a reference point for all of what Christ has done for us through the Passover is the great move out of Egypt and out of slavery. In Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 10, listen to the incident that takes place here. And know that this is the imagery to which he refers when he says the spirit you have in there is not a spirit of fear to send you back to slavery. Again, this declaration, I know you feel overwhelmed and you want to run back to the ease of just letting yourself live in the idols of your heart. But keep fighting because victory is not just yours eternally, it is yours now in the progressive journey of participating in your sanctification with God. Look at this. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. So they've been set free from Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. They encounter the Red Sea. Uh Uh-oh, we can't get across. They turn around, and here comes Pharaoh, and he's mad. So their immediate thing is, hold on. God sets us free from a life of slavery only to tick off the person who enslaved us, who's coming after us now, more mad than ever, more intentional than ever to make our lives miserable. And here's the deal. Here's the answer. Don't try to cross the Red Sea. Run back to the old master and beg for forgiveness so he'll be okay again. See, that, that's, that's the, the attitude of the human heart. soon as it gets hard to live against the idols of your heart and they seem overwhelming to you, the easy part is just to say, sorry I, I, sorry, I ticked you off my fault. I'll do what you want. Watch, watch. The Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, so, so remember, I love this. It's very clear they're saying this to God through Moses. Did you catch that? They cried out to, not Moses, but to the Lord and said to Moses, you tell him, you tell him what we want to say. And here's what they said. They said to Moses, is is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? I mean, this is so great, right? I was once enslaved, and I begged God to rescue me. And then when he rescues me, and the people are coming, and I think I'm going to die, you go, weren't there enough graves in the slavery land that you brought me here to die? Watch this. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? I mean, the idiocy of that statement Why did you set us free? Why did you listen to our prayers? Why did you rescue us through supernatural plagues that were awesome to watch? Why did you do the Lamb of God and the Angel of Death to set us free? Why did you do all these miracles only to have us stuck here by the Red Sea to die at the hand of Pharaoh? I mean, you're almost like, are you guys not connecting the dots? God does all that, now he's going to watch you die at the Red Sea? Are you out of your minds? But isn't this how we function? The second we're free, and then the idols come, and the things come, and the temptations are there, and we really want that. And God asked me, what? Oh, I can't do that. Oh, this is crazy. I'm, I'm just going to pretend I didn't read that. Just gonna go. And we just, we just gravitate back, and this is what we do. Look at this. Look at this. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? I love that. As though when they were in Egypt, they're like, we we shouldn't go. Don't set us free. He's going to come. It's like as as though the whole time they're going, God, this is a mistake. Leave us bound. Leave us bound. No, they didn't say that. They were awesomely happy that God set them free. It Is "Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. I mean, really? That's what they said in Egypt? That's what they were crying out? Don't come, God. Don't rescue us from these slave masters. Don't save us. If you send Moses, we're going to kill him. No, they were begging God to save them, but now suddenly the story changes. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So it's almost like it's almost like God saying to them, shut up. You you're hurting yourself right now by saying dumb stuff to me. So I'm gonna be gracious and say, you just be silent and you just watch and I'm gonna show you what the story is that I have for you. And in many ways in our space, we feel overwhelmed uh, in the book of Romans. What he's saying to the people is, I did not give you a spirit that set you free for eternality, for your eternal life, for your destiny with God, only for you to be desperately defeated day by day forever on this planet. And I laugh as I watch you struggle so much. That's not what I did. This was not a spirit that sends you back to the ways of the old or to settle in. You stand firm. You fight hard. Not because in this moment you see the fruit of your victory, but because you know that both by your eternal guarantee and the power that is within you, that you are participating in a fight that will ultimately produce life. That's what he's saying. Now, look at this back to Romans, right? This is so incredible. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, to run back to the slavery of your sinful lives, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, this is the great wondrous mystery of the woven realities between our practical practice of daily life and our positional reality in Christ that is his promise. You cannot live with one uh, without the other. They are and must always be intricately woven together because when we forget who we are positionally, we begin to live with a spirit of fear and begin to give up on the participation in the fight against those things in us that drive us nuts. And so he says this, the Spirit of God not only empowers you to fight on this planet against sin and death both externally and internally, But the Spirit of God actually reminds you, confirms for you, tells you, showed you, promises you that you are adopted as children of God. So it is is this positional reality. You are more than free. You are sons and daughters. You are more than free. You are sons and daughters. You are more than free. You are sons and daughters. You are adopted into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. You belong to him. And do you think for one second when you belong to the God and creator of all things that he will let you fall? That anything will be permanent in you. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so he says, listen, remember the spirit of God has shown you who you are. You are adopted as sons. And I love this. I love this more than that, more than that. He has allowed you now in your adoption to call God not master, but, Father, Daddy. See, we are, not, we are not bound to a master to whom we are enslaved as a slave, though that ought to be our reality. We are debtors, are we not? We ought to be slaves to the Master God. But he said the Spirit of God did not do that. He calls you sons, and you call him Father. So when you struggle with this practical day-to-day stuff and you feel overwhelmed, stop and remember what the Spirit has shown you, what he has confirmed for you, what he has done for you. He has sealed your adoption as sons and given you permission to call God Father. This is big. This is big, right? So now, now we are ready for the big moment in this passage, in my opinion. Here it is. Ready? All that stuff was child's play. Here it comes. Okay, watch this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. See this right here. You want to know, I want to know, how do I survive this day with all the confrontation of the external temptations that come my way and all the confrontation of the internal idols that haunt my heart and all, the, all the, the difficulty of the brokenness that is still in me that needs redeeming. When I'm struggling in the day with the personalities and realities and people around me that have the same dysfunctions that I do in my humanity that are affecting mine and I'm affecting this. When all this is going on, how, how do I make it from morning till night without becoming discouraged in what seems to be the defeat of sin in my life, what seems to be the overcoming. Here's how. Here's how. You remember who you are in Christ. You remember who he is. You remember what he has done. You remember your position. You remember his promises. You remember your eternality. In other words, you remember that you are sons and daughters of God. Because when you remember that, everything else that may seem overwhelming does not seem overwhelming, though it is still ever-present. You see, because Jesus was big on this. God was big on this all throughout the Old Testament. When we forget who we are and who he is, then we forget ourselves and we begin to behave in fear. But when we remember who we are and who he is, then despite fear, we courageously engage in the fight against sin, against idols, even though sometimes it is defeating in the dailiness, in the momentary realities of life. When we remember. And I love in this passage that he says, the Spirit of God does not just empower you to fight well against idols, and sin. But what he does for you is he speaks to your spirit to remind you of who you are so that you never forget. This is the power of the spirit of God in you. That you remember who you are because this is going to become incredibly critical. Do you guys remember the Disney movie Lion King? I mean, we come back to this, but it's, you know, some iconic scenes never go away from a spiritual perspective, and here's one of them, right? Remember when little Simba had lived his life out in the crazy wilderness with a, with a, a pig and a, um, I don't know, a squirrel? I forget, whatever he was, right? Um, and, and they sang, um, you know, the, the songs that we love about life being good, and then Simba just thought he could just, and then uh, Mufasa finds Simba, and he's now a, a big big young man, and he brings him to the pond, and and he says, you have forgotten who you are, brother. And then he looks in the pond, he sees his father, and he says, you remember who you are? You are not this, you are something other than this. And then there's a giant transition in his life, and the story unfolds beautifully. This is the power of the Spirit of God in us. Do you remember who you are? And what is this thing we are supposed to remember? What does it mean that we are children of God? I mean, great great. I'm a child of God. Fantastic. Check that box. What, is the, what does that really mean? What does it really No, I mean, really, we say these things all the time. I'm a child of God. Fantastic. And? Oh, there's an and. There's a very, very big and. Here it is. Ready? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, here it is, so what? I'm a child of God. Well, if children, if children, then Heirs. Heirs? Heirs of what? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Okay, so listen, I love this again. What are you an heir of? What am I an heir of? Heirs of all God's stuff. Well, well yes, in some ways that is true, but that's not where the sentence begins, is it? You are heirs of God. You get Him. And what is Him? Who is Him? He is freedom. He is life. He is peace. He is uh, holiness. He uh, is safety. He is refuge. He, I could go on and on. He is everything good. And we are heirs to everything good in our eternality. That is where we live. And so he goes, children of God, why does that matter that you remember that you're a child of God? Because then you remember if a child, then an heir. And an heir to what? An heir to all things life. So, do you feel defeated today? I get it. It's hard on this planet. But what are you an heir to? Life, what are you an heir to? Freedom, what are you an heir to? Light, what are you an heir to? All things good, what are you an heir to? You are an heir to God, a co-heir with Christ, to all things that are Christ's. And so we stand in the midst of the insanity of the day, and he goes, remember, you are children of God, and heirs because you are children. So when the fight feels big and long and hard, Wake up and do it again, because in the end, you have been empowered to live life not just in an eternal uh, perspective, but in present perspective, not only in eternal reality, but in present reality, a life that participates daily in in the redeeming of unredeemed things, including that which is in ourselves. And when it feels overwhelming, we keep fighting. Why? Because the Spirit of God has told us we are children of God and heirs of all things good. So the fight continues on. And then he says this. He says this. Provided we suffer with him in order... That we may also be glorified with him. Odd sentence. Again, the word provided seems to suggest you only get all this stuff if these other things are true. And we will see in the next passage of scripture that what he's demonstrating to us is that when it is hard, because being redemptive is gonna be hard, whether you're redeeming external things or internal things, when being redemptive, it becomes hard and overwhelming and it feels like you're not gonna make it. That is the life of a Christ follower redeeming unredeemed things, and it's going to get hard. So provided you actually know Jesus, and if you know Jesus, then your life is going to be a progressive reality of becoming more and more aware of what is dark in you and dark in the world, and more and more active in undoing it by the power of the Spirit. When that's happening, you're going to suffer. But as you suffer with Christ, then remember, you also don't just receive the suffering, you receive the beauty of being an heir. for another time. But before we get there, let me leave you with this. You remember where this passage began? You remember where it began? Do you you even remember? Here it is. We've come a long way, I know, but it was just a few minutes ago. So then brothers, we are debtors. That's where it began. So you would think at some point it closes there too, coming back to the debtor part. You're debtors. Now, not to flesh and your sons of God and your heirs and he's empowering you, but you're debtors. But do you notice that the passage never comes back to that? See, I think there's such beauty in that, isn't that? That he's literally saying this. "You, You are debtors to God. You ought to be debtors to God. I mean, everything points toward the fact that you're debtors to God. But he does not see you as debtors or treat you as debtors. He sees you as sons and treats you as sons. This is insane. We are debtors to God, yet we are not debtors to God. We are debtors to God, yet we are sons of of God, daughters of God. We are debtors to God, yet he treats us not as debtors, but as children and heirs. And because we are children and heirs, this allows us to do what we do. So we are children. Do not forget that. We also are empowered to put to death the realities of the idols in our heart and, and the dysfunctions of our soul and the realities of the external world and the temptations of sin. We are empowered by the Spirit to go after them. They may defeat us for a while. They may overcome us. We may fall into them. Thank goodness positionally we're still safe. But we are empowered to go after them. And so the point isn't that you win today. The point is that you fight today. Because you are empowered to go after the darkness in you, the darkness around you. So when there is sin or idols present, you and I face them. And we go after them. We are inspired by the Spirit of God to call him Father. Abba, Father. Daddy, God. This is what we're inspired to do by the Spirit. We are heirs to all things good. And we are invited to fight against the darkness. And so our life in practice every day is not a life of survival to get to the eternal spaces of wonder. It is a life of wonder. It is a life of adventure. And what is our adventure? We, children of God, are empowered to go after sin and death in all of its forms, including in ourselves, participating in our own sanctification and participating in God's redemption on the planet by giving ourselves to it. And in the end, we know who we are. So we know we're going to win. So here it is. You keep fighting your idols and and, and your sin, participating in your own sanctification, not because you and I are indebted, though we ought to be, but because we belong and because we are empowered. And so we stand today and we face ourselves again and we face the world again and we face our sin again and we face our idols again and we say to all the voices in our head that say, you can't do this. And when the enemy of God says to us in our heads, do you know who I am? Your idols say, do you know who we are? Sin says, do you know what I am? we stand and we look it right back in the eye and we say, yes, I do. And you're pretty big and pretty strong. But do you know who I am? Because I am a child of God, a co-heir with Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God to come after you. So I would suggest you start packing up and making a move because I'm coming for you and it's going to be over soon. That is our freedom, not only in eternity, but in the present practical realities of our life. So fight on, brothers and sisters, against sin and darkness, not because you have to, but because you get to. Let's pray. God, once again, you demonstrate your mercy beyond wild imagination. Once again, you expand your grace to us. Once again, you show us that just when we thought, oh my gosh, it can't get any better, you go, no, it's better. Once again, you bring together the, what seems to be the, the great gap between your eternal kingdom and the present realities of our earthly life, and you bring them together saying, the kingdom has come here, Renaud. The kingdom is in you, Renaud. The kingdom is, is advancing here, Renaud. So, so participate, jump in, fight hard. Seek out the unredeemed things in your heart, the idols in your heart, the sins, the insecurities, the fears. Seek out the issues of bitterness or malice or, 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 or anything else that's in there. Seek it out, go after it, do not be afraid for I am with you and you are mine God when the voices in our head are loud and they shout at us of who we once were who we seem to feel we still are may we rise up not in ourselves but in you stare those voices right back in the face and say you can shout at me all day long but you have no idea who I am now I am a child of God I I'm an heir with Christ, of God Himself. I am empowered by God Himself, the Spirit in me, and I am sent from God to find dark, unredeemed things in me and around me and undo them by His power. So here I come. It might take me a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade or a lifetime, but I will fight. Till I take my last breath, and then I will leave this planet of death and experience the fullness of life. And you sin, you death, you have nothing on me. God, teach us how to see, how to remember, how to live in intimacy with your Spirit, so that He would testify to our spirits. We are children of God, co-heirs with Christ. That we would never forget, and we would lean into our position and fight hard in our practice by the Spirit, for the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.